Coast2Coast.io. Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. We are back here with episode 23. I am your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Emmett Ernstberger and Luke Walker. Glad to have these guys back again. Nice to just have two regular co-hosts. Uh, I think the first episode with these guys went really well. So happy to bring it back again. It's going to be a recurring thing every week now. So um, hope you guys like it. But um, today we've just got a few different topics to kind of cover. Um, we want to kind of cover a lot of the offseason. I know we've talked about it in p- bits and pieces, but we want to do a little more in-depth. We're going to give you some of our best or favorite acquisitions from this past offseason. Um, we are also, we as a group of three have put teams in tiers of where we think they fall uh, based on their offseason. Um, then after that, we are since the offseason for the most part is wrapped up, you know, pending a Kevin Durant deal or maybe whatever happens to Donovan Mitchell, but we just kind of have to go with what we see at this, at this point. We're going to give you who we think are the contenders and who we th- and we're going to rank our contenders after we list them for you. And then we're going to top it all off, ranking our top 10 shooting guards, continuing our position rankings. So very excited to bring you guys all this stuff today. But to start it all off, you know, some great acquisitions around the league. But we all picked a few that were some of our favorites or what we think are going to be the best ones. I'm pretty sure we all picked three. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We're funny how that turns out because we didn't even set a number, but we all just picked three. Uh, I think it'll turn out well. I think that I think it's safe to say that all three of us, uh, two of them happen to be the same. Um, so we're going to talk very in depth about those two and those two specifically happen to be Malcolm Brogdon and Rudy Gobert. So first, just kind of starting out on the Celtics, uh, getting Malcolm Brogdon this past offseason. you know, they trade, it was a five for one deal, but, uh, it was nobody within the Celtics actual rotation, um, that they traded to acquire Brogdon. Um, it was like Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, Malik Fitz, um, and two others, you know, been blanking on the names right now. And then they traded their first round draft pick next year. Um, considering that that was the value for Malcolm Brogdon, don't blame them for doing it. Um, great. He's going to help greatly, but I think it's just the biggest question for the Celtics going into next season. And it was honestly a question people had for the team this past season was where's the extra playmaking or the traditional ball screen point guard or just guy who can kind of take over and actually be a true point guard opposed to running your offense through two wings who are score first, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we've seen an evolution from both Tatum and Brown in terms of playmaking and kind of Marcus Smart's uh, more playmaking as he has to have more of that role with their current roster. But now they're able to get a guy that that's his strong suit. It's going to help them tremendously. And, you know, Boston last year, in terms of points per possession, we're in the 43rd percentile in plays with the pick and roll with the ball handler. And Brogdon himself last season was in the 90th percentile of pick and roll ball handlers in terms of points per possession. Um, Brogdon also brings another element to this team of putting real pressure on the rim that this team needed a little bit. I mean, Tatum and Brown, both pretty good at getting the rim, but they can kind of settle sometimes. And they need somebody who's just really aggressive uh, getting to the rim. Um, nobody besides Rob Williams on this team was above the 65th percentile last year at attacking the rim. 
Brogdon himself was in the 90th percentile, again, another category. So two biggest needs, in my opinion. Brogdon comes in and immediately upgrades that massively. Um, you know, I just want to kind of take it to you two real quick. What do you think that the uh, acquisition of Brogdon does for the Celtics team? And kind of how do you think he fits? You know, I know he's coming off the bench to start the season. Wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up being a starter. I also think that this move kind of elevates Boston to become the favorite. I know whenever we were coming into the offseason, it was kind of like, oh, well, if Chris Middleton was there, Milwaukee probably wins. But I think that this move elevates Boston a little bit, and they're probably my favorite in the East going into next year. But what do you two think that this Brogdon move to Boston means and how he fits? Uh, it's it's definitely a big get. I thought the Celtics were going to be one of the top two favorite teams to win it all next year. And definitely after the finals, you had to picture them getting a playmaking guard through free agency, maybe someone like Dennis Schroeder, who's kind of on the lower end. But being able to go get Malcolm Brogdon for almost nothing is honestly incredible for the Celtics. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with what you said, Kyle. I, I think that, you know, we get into the season – Brogdon's going to be in that starting lineup, and I really like the way he fits with that roster. And, you know, a team that was in the finals last year and came up a little bit short, I really think Brogdon can be that guy that, you know, helps them take that next step and, and become the favorite. So I, I really like this acquisition, and I think that uh, this has put the Celtics in a great position. Yeah, for sure. I actually thought it was funny that you said that, Emmett, because Schroeder – you know, was on the team till like the trade deadline yeah. last year. Um, I, I think that it's like he does excel in those areas, but for some reason it just wasn't a great like fit with him there. But I do think that like a change of scenery here and a player that is really high level, almost like borderline all-star when fully healthy and when playing his best, do think like we've all agreed on that he's going to accommodate this team very well. Um, but the next acquisition, um, where Emmett's going to take this one over just because Emmett was the first one whenever we were all talking about this to really dive in, but it's Rudy Gobert. Emmett, go ahead and tell us how you think he's going to impact this T-Wolves team. Okay, so I was really big on the Timberwolves. I still am big on the Timberwolves. Last year, I actually had them all the way to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. And, I mean, overall, the one thing they were lacking was the defensive centerpiece. and they did give up a ton of picks and a ton of players, but when it really comes down to it, uh, relieving Carl Anthony Towns defensively and offensively is going to be a big step for them. Rudy Gobert coming in there and just being defensive centerpiece, like I said, is going to help them tremendously. I mean, they're going to be able to spread the floor more with Cat. Uh, Ants can be able to take more. And just, once again, Rudy Gobert in the middle doing what he does best, just blocking shots and being a defensive animal, whether you like Rudy Gobert or not, he's going to lift them into contention easily. Yeah. So Luke, how do you think that he affects it, you know, kind of going off in this points? I absolutely love the trade. Um, I don't care about giving up the picks. If I'm the T wolves, this is a guy that you go get. And I honestly think it puts them in win now mode and having that defensive presence down low is going to help them so much. And like you said, I mean, it's going to really help relieve Cat some of those duties. And this is a team that I think could be a sleeper this year, seriously. I, I, I have them going pretty far into the playoffs, you know, if not making a finals run, if I'm being completely honest with you. It's a, it's a solid team, and I really look forward to watching. Yeah, and I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. 
agree with you in terms of the draft capital. Like it's one of those things where this team has really the pieces that they need to probably make a run, you know, once everything is actually all put together and they're all healthy. Um, Anthony Edwards looks like he could be a superstar. Carl Anthony Towns is already an all-star talent that's been established for a few years now. Just a really good player. Um, you know, they're kind of still figuring out some things around the edges, but I also think the biggest thing to me was that they were able to keep uh, Jaden McDaniels in this trade. I figured that he probably had to be in that deal, but then we found out he wasn't, and I was just really surprised. And I also think that it's one of those things they may not make the run this year, and that's okay because of how young the core is. And maybe we talked about D'Angelo Russell being extension eligible on last podcast. Well, maybe they work something out with D'Lo. Maybe they end up with him long term, but maybe they do part ways. And then at that point, because of other contracts as well, they do have cap space to work with, and they could kind of restructure this team in a way that they would like to around the three players now of Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. But, you know, some of the things that this team was missing last year, um, you know, before I kind of give you some of this stuff, it's pretty self-explanatory, kind of like Emmett was getting at, is Rudy Gobert's impact that he'll have defensively. I mean, multiple-time defensive player of the year. Some of that stuff is just self-explanatory. But some of the things that that the T-Wolves were really missing was last year they had nobody – who was just extremely efficient around the rim or was a real lob threat. And I mean, I know that they had Jared Vanderbilt who was good and like a dog for them last year, but just not can't, couldn't give you much offensively at all. I mean, now you bring in Gobert who is 77% at the rim. Um, and I, I just think that that gives them another element now because cat is not really much of a banger or a, or a presence down low because of how he's evolved. So this Chris Finch, He's able to create a, a lot of different looks and creates a very dynamic offense that we saw last year. And so I really do believe in him being able to incorporate Gobert as well as kind of giving Delos some P and a real PNR partner here that could really elevate Delo to an extent. Um, and also, you know, the guys that it looks like are going to be starting this year are D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, uh, Jenna McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's what we expect. And when you look at this lineup last year with Jared Vanderbilt on the floor, they played 325 possessions together. They were in the 39th percentile in both points per 100 possessions and in point differential. Well, Gobert on the floor for Utah alone, a team that is so weak defensively, was in the 90th percentile in points per in points per 100 possessions and in the 94th percentile in point differential. And just something that I also wanted to point out, man, when it comes to like, if you are a little skeptical about, oh, well, Gobert was with Utah and their defense was good, but come playoff time, they didn't have a lot of good defenders on the perimeter. Well, even so, like, let's say that the team gets restructured in a few off seasons, this regular season in particular, last last season in 450 possessions, the Utah Jazz's best lineup in terms of point differential was Gobert, and then on the floor with him was Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and Rudy Gay. And I'm just going to be honest, man. If if that lineup with those four around him can have a point differential plus 18.4 and be well above average both offensively and defensively, um, I promise you that Rudy Gobert with this starting lineup is going to be more than fine. And, 
you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I'm really high on Jaden McDaniels. I think he's a great defensive player. That's going to compliment Rudy Gobert well. So I started looking around, and I'm like, okay, who were some of the better defenders on Utah last year? Well, one was Royce O'Neal, but I think he took a little bit of a drop. So I said, what are the lineups like with Rudy Gobert and Daniel House on the floor together last season for Utah? So when I looked that up, no surprise. Well, a little bit of a surprise, but no surprise that these two worked really well together. Lineups with just those two on the floor together were in the 99th percentile in both point differential and points per 100 possessions. So I'm extremely excited after I saw all that to see the dynamic of both Gobert and Jaden McDaniels on the floor together. So super excited to see this team uh, all come together. Um, super excited to see how they go in the coming years. But I do think that they are due for a regular season jump at minimum this year. Definitely. They're going to be one of the most fun teams to watch by far come playoff time. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing how they've evolved, uh, you know, getting Gobert. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun team to watch, man. I really do. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. They'll definitely be high on my league pass rankings. Yeah. Um, now, now each of us, you know, we all had the two common ones and we couldn't, none of us could just leave them off. It was worth talking about, but now we've all just got one more that we want to kind of talk about. Um, Luke, who's your third guy that you wanted to acknowledge? My third guy is DeJounte Murray. Um, I love that gift for the Hawks, uh, you know, to pair him with Trey Young. Um, I, I'm telling you right now, I believe that's a sleeper team in the East. I, I think they, they got better. And um, I, I like the way that DeJounte plays, and I'm, I'm extremely high on him, and I'm, I'm high on the Hawks. I, I absolutely love that gift for them. Yeah, I totally agree. Great get. Gives them a dynamic in the backcourt they have not had with Trey Young yet. Um, you know, I, just, I think people overthink it whenever they think about two playmaking guards playing together because, yeah. honestly, in today's NBA and the way it works, you – you're honestly really well off if you have two of those guys and they've got two elite ones. It's not like we're just talking about two solid playmakers here. And we're talking about arguably the best uh, playmaking point guard alongside another playmaking guard who is very, very talented. So extremely excited. I think he, I think he helps on the defensive side of things too. I mean, just the fact that the Hawks are now going to have an element where instead of a lineup of Clint Capella anchoring the defense with, hoping that DeAndre Hunter can be out there and then just kind of hoping that John Collins stays above average like he's been and just hoping and praying that the backcourt doesn't just take huge hits. Now you're looking at an elite backcourt defender to be able to help out Trey more and to be able to just give them more need there. Helps DeAndre Hunter a little bit and just makes Clint Capella's life easier as well. So I completely agree with that in terms of being a great acquisition. Most definitely. Trey Young in the playoffs, it was obvious he needed help in the backcourt, and DeJounte Murray gives nothing but that defensively and offensively. Yeah. So, Emmett, who was your third guy? Um, Originally, I wanted to go John Wall, but I'm actually going to lean towards the financial side of things with TJ Warren. I think mm-hmm. a one-year deal worth about $2.5 million with the Nets is a great pick especially if he's coming off the bench. I mean, the last time we saw him fully healthy, he was putting up 20 a game. I think off the bench, especially with the Nets, that team, whether or not KD gets traded, it's definitely going to need some playmaking, just offensive playmaking off the bench, just offensive scoring. He can just, I mean, he's a bucket getter. And I think that could be fantastic for the Nets. 
Yeah, definitely agree there. Um, You know, you hit on it. I think a lot of people forget. I think sometimes whenever you say the name TJ Warren, some people just immediately think, oh, you know, he had a bubble run. Like, no, like before the bubble, this guy was consistently for multiple years. Exactly. 18 and 19 point per game type guy on great efficiency. Like just like you said, an elite scorer. Um, And considering that the Nets don't own their draft pick, I mean, KD or no KD, this team has to win some games. And so completely agree with you there. Great pickup. He will be a great scorer for them. And definitely agree. Just considering what they got him for, if they can even get like half a season of him, it's already a win because of the contract he's on. So totally agree. Um, my, My third guy. Uh, I'm just really high on it because of how I think that he helps this team advance is DeAnthony Melton to the 76ers. And I think that he got kind of lost last season in terms of being just a really good role player because of how deep Memphis was. But um, sometimes when a team is that deep, you do kind of lose track of how many good role players that if they went somewhere else could tremendously help somebody. And what does Philadelphia need? They need shooting, athleticism, and some help on the glass. Well, this guy really does provide all three things. You know, when it comes to rebounding, this team didn't have any guard that in defensive rebound percentage was above the 50th percentile besides James Harden, which James Harden is a well above average rebounding guard. The Anthony Melton was in the 100th percentile in defensive rebounding percentage. Uh, DeAnthony Melton was also in the 85th percentile of all players in offensive rebounding percentage. And only one player on the entire 76ers roster was above the 70th percentile in that category, which was Paul Reed, who, you know, only played so many games. It's not like we even had a full full season sample size worth to work with. So considering that the team struggled so much on both sides rebounding at the guard spot and defensive rebounding and just everywhere on offensive rebounding, he immediately is going to give them a little bit of a boost there. And extra possessions are what win you games. And um, uh, DeAnthony Melton has a shooter, man. I mean, I think he's I think he's an elite three point shooter. And, you know, what's going to be happening here? A lot of Harden and Embiid. PNR, a lot of mid-post isolation with Joel Embiid, a lot of empty uh, Harden isolation, and a lot of swing Maxi's going to penetrate and find something. So with that is what? Open looks. Yes, especially in the corner as those guys are attacking from the top or on the sides. Well, DeAnthony Melton was in the 92nd percentile in corner threes last year, shooting 48% from the corners. Um, just an elite level shooter from that perspective. Um, and just last thing here, man, when DeAnthony Melton was on the floor for the Grizzlies last year, just in general, uh, they averaged 118.8 points per 100 possessions, which was in the 92nd percentile of all lineups. So considering this guy's impact, uh, I thought he should have played more in the playoffs, but it is what it is. Uh, they did have a deep team, so it is kind of hard to argue sometimes. But he gives this team just a guard off the bench that is definitely going to help. I really like that. Um, and, and I really like what you said about some of these role guys kind of getting lost on teams. And, and you know, we, when you really need to understand that these guys could go to a different team and really make a solid impact. And so I, I really like that pull from you. Yeah, he's definitely a big checklist item for the 76ers and a win now team. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, we all just wanted to kind of pull out some of what we thought were the best acquisitions. Um, those were five really good ones, in my opinion. Probably five of def we definitely picked out the top two. I think anybody would tell you those were the best two acquisitions. Had to mention them. And I'd honestly say of the remaining top 10, I'd say we covered three of them. Um, if not, you know, talking top seven or eight acquisitions. So it all depends on who you are, but those three were definitely worth mentioning. Glad we were able to cover cover all three of them. Um, now going into kind of ranking teams off seasons. So we didn't necessarily want to give uh, like full on rankings because it's kind of hard to mix some of the teams as you keep going. And it's like if we're at rankings 13 and 14 of two teams who had solid off seasons but didn't weren't didn't do much you know how do you rank them so we just split these up into tiers so what we've done is prior to this about a week ago um the three of us met and we came up with some tiers and we decided who all was going to be in what tier as a group so starting off our tiers i'll just go ahead and tell you the best tiers we from best to worst we have s tier a, B, C, D, and lastly, the Nets tier. <laughs> um, so what I want you guys to understand first is when we say the Nets tier is last, it is, it is not implying that the Nets had the worst offseason in the NBA. They simply need their own category because they're in a complete mess that absolutely nobody else is in in the entire league. So we've already kind of hit on the Nets a lot, especially because uh, Emmett's pick from the best acquisitions was TJ Warren, but you know, this team did acquire TJ Warren and Royce O'Neal. Uh, and on paper, considering who's on contract right now, yes, the Nets arguably have one of the better rosters in the entire league, but considering what is going on with Kevin Durant, which we touched on even more last week, it's just too hard to put them anywhere at this point. Um, so they are in their own tier for us, lastly, at their own Nets tier, but. Starting out at the D tier, um, first team that I want to acknowledge is the Dallas Mavericks. Um, you know, the Mavs, uh, the biggest thing for me, obviously they picked up Christian Wood, and I think that that's a great fit. I think him and Luka Doncic are going to have a great two-man game. Uh, Christian Wood's ability to be able to pop off of a screen and especially being able to hit those shots, that's going to come very in handy for this Dallas team considering their spacing. Um, and – Luca's penetration to be able to come off of that and make a defense really commit on, hey, do I get Luca? Do I watch Christian Wood on the pop? Like, or the people in offside that make that decision of, do I help stop Luca coming to the rim because he's so big and he has a great advantage with almost anybody one on one? Or do I have to hug more on the shooter because the Mavs are so elite from shooting outside the arc? So I think that that's going to help tremendously. But biggest thing for me, was losing Jalen Brunson for nothing. And it wasn't really much that they could control. You know, I understand why they weren't paying that much. And they did offer him a five-year deal with the same money. But I think Brunson was pretty dead set on the Knicks. So not a lot towards the Mavs here that I'm going to fault them for. But just losing Brunson for nothing. And they will get Tim Hardaway Jr. back. And Emmett said it last week that Lucas is MVP pick. I have not made mine yet, but I will not be surprised at all if Luca is my MVP pick as well for this year, simply because, especially whenever you throw Tim Hardaway Jr. into that mix, 
in the regular season when it's not full on game planning yet, I mean, they're game planning, but just not as heavily as the playoffs. It will be very hard to stop this Mavericks offense, especially because he got an elite lob threat with JaVale McGee as well. Um, but like I say, come playoff time, I think that's where it hurts. And that's why we came up with them in the D tier because they don't have a secondary ball handler at all. I mean, people were already kind of complaining about a secondary ball handler um, even when Brunson was there and a secondary playmaker and him and Luca were elite in this past playoffs. And now he doesn't even have him. So maybe Spencer Dinwiddie can fill that role, but it's to be determined in my opinion. That's where we, that's why we placed them in the D tier. Uh, second team in the D tier. I'll go ahead and tell you, we have six teams total in the D tier, but the second team is the Washington wizards. Now the wizards will have a solid team in my opinion. But I just don't – there's no direction of this team currently, and it's very lateral moves. I thought the Beal contract was way too excessive. Now they've lost all leverage of trading what is probably their best asset since – you know, John Wall is probably their best asset that they've ever had in probably the franchise's history, besides like way back in the 60s, 70s, but whenever like Elvin Hayes was there or something. But, but just regarding recent history at all, Bradley Beal has to be right there with John Wall as this team's best asset ever. And now the value that they could have gotten out of Beal is completely out the window. And it's on a no trade clause as well. So Beal, my opinion, I think he did that because he can open that up at any time he wants. And he kind of controls where he lands if he does ask for a trade. So to be determined on that. But, you know, they they did make the move to trade uh, KCP and – um, why am I tripping on who they traded with KCP? Help me out if you remember. Um, KCP and Ish Smith for Monty Morris and Will Barton. Um, they get a point guard that they need in Monty Morris, but I don't know, man. I just there's no direction for the Wizards, so that's why we ultimately put them in D tier. Yeah, I think a lot of these teams in the D tier have a pretty common theme where it's kind of just not necessarily terrible moves, but just a lot of stale movement, and it's not moving them up or down necessarily. Uh, another team in the D tier is the Hornets, kind of an interesting one. It almost feels like they're kind of moving towards a Dame 2.0 with Lamelo, where they're struggling to get players around them. And will that affect Lamelo's uh, mental state with the team? I don't know. The only player they signed or re-signed was Cody Martin, and the only player they lost is Miles Bridges, maybe. Not really sure what's going on there. And then uh, another D-tier team is the Spurs. Uh, I mean, getting rid of DeJounte Murray is not the worst thing at all. They're definitely going full rebuild mode. They're putting all everything they got on the gas towards the victor sweepstakes, but that's just not at all a guarantee. So they extended Keldon Johnson. They added uh, Isaiah Roby, Gorgie Dang. And they also lost Loney Walker, which I'm a big Loney Walker guy, I think. He has a super bouncy, athletic, just high-energy game that I enjoy watching, and I think he adds a lot to the Lakers as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, these next two teams and the last two teams in the D tier, uh, both of them I feel like declined uh, this offseason. Uh, so the first team I want to talk about is the Heat. Um, you know, you lose P.J. Tucker. I think, I think that's a big hit for them. Uh, I'm not crazy about any of the pieces that they added. Um, that's a team who I, you know, going into the offseason, I kind of expected them to either, you know, stay the same or 
maybe try to improve a little bit, but I, I just really don't feel like that happened. Um, but like I said, losing PJ Tucker, I think that's a big hit for them. Um, and then the sixth and final team in the D tier uh, have the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, you know, like, like you said, Emmett, uh, they add Walker and, you know, Thomas Bryant. Uh, those are two guys obviously will play a solid role on this team, but, and, you know, I'm, I'm not crazy about any of the guys that they, that they lost. So I'm not too upset about that for them. Um, but this is a team that obviously you have an aging LeBron, uh, an AD who's struggled to stay healthy. And then Westbrook is a guy who, you know, I, I think people are a little hard on him and, and putting too much blame on, on him for Los Angeles's struggles. But I ultimately just, I don't really like this core that they have together. Uh, I think they're probably looking at a similar season as last year, maybe even worse, if I'm being honest. Um, so, yeah, that, the Lakers are kind of round, rounding out the D tier. And uh, I, I just don't feel like they got any better. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like they got a little worse. It, it definitely feels like a stereotypical LeBron offseason at this point. Where you yeah. just add a bunch of, I don't want to say no names, but just people who are trying to almost redo their career, prove yeah. their worth. And then they just kind of slide into LeBron's place and they either excel or disappear into absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, you're right there because a big indicator to teams is, you know, a lot of these guys are written off and sometimes it saves their career, but if you don't play well off LeBron James, you, you're probably like, like being a role player, not necessarily, yeah, yeah. Guy, but being a role player, if you're not very successful around LeBron James, you're probably not going to be very successful almost anywhere. So um, also just, you know, one more thing about the Heat, just a random point I want to make. I think that the biggest regret for this team, uh, whenever we look back on this offseason, and I understand why they've done it, but holding out so long with just this hope of acquiring a Kevin Durant or a Donovan Mitchell, and quite frankly, they just don't really have the assets for it. And it's probably too hard to make it work, even in the three and four team deal. So they're going to go from probably being a little too hopeful of getting one of those two in which turns out of just getting nothing and losing PJ, like, you know, Luke talked about, which was a big loss. Uh, but moving along to the C tier, um, the first team here is the Indiana Pacers. Um, this team had the potential to probably be an S tier um, in offseason if one thing would have fallen through. And that one thing that I'm referring to here is if they would have gotten DeAndre Hayden, if the Suns would have not matched or if before they signed the offer sheet, they would have worked out some kind of sign and trade. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is that they just didn't really do anything. I mean, I know they had a draft pick, but kind of hard to evaluate that type of stuff yet. Oh, we've not even seen them play in a game yet. But um, also just they, they did retain Jalen Smith, which was good. Didn't want to lose him. Um, but it's for me, it's just the fact that to be able to even attempt to get DeAndre Ayton outright without working out a sign and trade, they had to waive some guys. And one of those guys was Dwayne Washington Jr. And I thought he was a solid piece that this team should have kept. I understand why they waived him, but it's just hindsight's 2020. But the fact that you lost him trying to get Ayton, he didn't get Ayton. And they're just kind of in the same boat. They might be, they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But again, it's nothing bad. They've got a good core. It's just in terms of ranking their offseason. That's where we thought that they fell. Um, the Phoenix Suns, um, we we felt comfortable putting them in the C tier. And I think the biggest reason there is the fact that this team did retain De DeAndre Aiden, 
but everybody else is getting better and this team is staying the same. And I think that a lot of people would tell you that, that if other teams are healthy, we're not even talking about the Suns ever making a finals or ever being a contender in the first place in the past two years. So, you know, I just think it's one of those things where the Suns as currently constructed are not good enough to beat um, all these other teams. And they could have the same regret maybe as the heat in terms of wanting Kevin Durant and just not having the players probably that it was going to take that Brooklyn wanted at first. Maybe they get Kevin Durant in the long run, but as of now, they don't have him. So just basically staying the exact same, Suns are not near good enough to beat the other top teams in the West, so we kept them here. And the last team that we want to acknowledge was the Magic. This is nothing really on the Magic. It's just like there was nothing really done in the offseason. So nothing really great. Nothing bad, but, you know, they got the number one pick. Good for them, but, again, haven't seen him play. So the Magic are here just kind of by default. Uh, that's exactly how I feel about the Rockets. The Rockets are in the C tier as well. I mean, they're a super young team. They're definitely building up to what looks to be a bright future, but just overall their offseason has been kind of dry outside of trading Christian Wood. But, once again, I feel like that's just adding to their future, not really a – scenario where it harms them in any way right now uh, another team in the c tier is the bulls uh i don't think the, their moves make a ton of sense i feel like in the past few years a lot of team or a lot of people have been really high on them it just as time progresses i feel like they get worse and worse it almost seems like they have no direction they re-signed zach levine they added andre drummond and then they added goran Dragic, and the goran Dragic's just really doesn't make sense to me at all they have a ton of guards and it just it, it just once again there's just no direction with that team yeah and I'm, I'm complaining just because me and Emmett talked about it off the pod but like Emmett's exactly right the Goran Dragic pickup doesn't make much sense and he's not saying that it doesn't make sense because any team would like to have him for like guard depth throughout the regular season but it almost feels like if they were pursuing him that aggressively that it's with the intent of playing him a lot. And yeah. if you're playing him a lot, Lonzo Ball is the clear starter on that team, so he's there. There is no world where Goran Dragic should be playing above Io DeSumo, and that's probably what's going to happen, if you ask me right now. Yeah, Io is definitely one of the – I was a big fan of Illinois, when he was at Illinois. He's definitely a high riser this year. And, I mean, even Kobe White, like, I know he's not had the strongest career, but, I mean, just – Goron just doesn't make a ton of sense at all to me. And then another C-tier team is the Grizzlies. Uh, we felt like they just needed to make a big jump. They were definitely missing something, and it just didn't really happen. They extended John Morant. They re-signed Tyus Jones, but they lost Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. I mean, just a lot of staleness from the Grizzlies, nothing that makes me like sit up and excited for their season, honestly. Outside of John Morant, this team seems very dry going into next season. And that's nothing against their team skill. They're going to be fantastic, but I don't think that jump really happened, and that's why they're in the C-tier. So the next C-tier team uh, have the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, this is a team, you know, looking at who they've lost. They lost Gary Clark, Jared Harper, Tony Snell. Uh, I'm not torn up about how, you know, these losses uh, – Obviously, they re-signed Zion, which is, is huge for them to lock him up, keep him there. And uh, it's a team that they didn't really do too much. Obviously, 
you know, re-signing Zion helps them, but it's not really a move. Um, you know, with a healthy Zion, this is a playoff team to me next year. But I kind I kind of think they fall in this C tier of just not really doing too much this off season. But you know, ultimately they they didn't have a bad off season, so uh, that that's why they kind of slide into this tier. Um, and then the next team I have is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, had a good draft, but you know, obviously we can't we can't bank on that working out for them. And uh, they re-signed Dort, lose Isaiah Roby. Um, it's a team that's they're not really trying to win right now. Uh, so I'm, I'm not too infatuated with the Thunder and their offseason because ultimately I don't really think it matters right now for them. Um, but, yeah, that, that kind of rounds out the C tier. And uh, those are two teams that I, I don't really feel like did anything to improve. But, you know, they're kind of sitting where they are. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving along to the B tier, the first team I have here is the L.A. Clippers. Um, Clippers, man, what looked like they – might lose Rocco in unrestricted free agency. They were able to extend him two years. Uh, they added John Wall. They were able to bring Amir Coffey back on a very team-friendly deal. Um, they extended Batum. They were able to bring him back for two more years. So he was going to be an unrestricted free agent. So just the fact to retain all of those guys as well as pick up John Wall for what's going to be a mid-level exception, um, you know, bringing all these pieces to a team that's as loaded as they are, Hard to not put them in the B tier just in terms of improving. So they were the first team there. Um, the next team that I've got are the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors, the first thing they did was they went out and they made sure they locked up Boucher. So they kept Chris Boucher on a very team-friendly deal at three years, $35 million. Um, They were able to bring Thad Young back on a two-year deal who was good for them after they traded for him um, this past season. And then – they also brought in Otto Porter Jr., who this team really needed some more wing depth, and they get a perfect two-way guy. That's just a good complimentary piece. That was a big part of the Warriors' playoff run, just in terms of being a great role player. So, just solid offseason for the Raptors, and definitely, uh, definitely improved off the Otto Porter uh, draft pick alone. And I, you know, we're not talking much about draft picks here, but considering this team needed a five-man, and the way that they that I've heard them talk about Christian Coloco out of Arizona, you know, maybe he can fill some minutes there. So I, I really do think that it was an improved offseason for the Raptors. You know, we all did. I mean, put them, putting them here. And then uh, the New York Knicks, um, I think they definitely deserve to be a B-tier team here uh, for offseason just because they brought in Isaiah Hardenstein on a two-year uh, $16 million deal. Great deal for a guy that's going to be one of the best backup centers in the league. He already was that for the Clippers last year. Definitely a guy the Clippers wanted to keep, but just couldn't afford him after they did everything else. Um, they also were able to re-sign Mitchell Robinson to a four-year, $60 million deal. And what's just wild is that that was the first um, Nick to get a second contract with the Knicks in like 20-something years. Uh, just, a <laughs> solid, just a solid center they were able to bring back. So shout out to the Knicks. And they also were able to give uh, Jericho Sims three more years to his deal uh, he was a solid big man, so maybe he can kind of give them some five-man insurance if one of those two goes down. Um, but obviously the biggest thing for the Knicks here is they've needed a point guard for Lord knows how long now, and they were able to get Jalen Brunson on a big deal, a very big deal, won't sugarcoat it, but still a guy that's going to help this team tremendously in some areas that they've needed for some years now. So pretty good offseason for the Knicks, and you know today we got the Shams update. 
that uh, the Knicks and the Jazz are in talks again. So maybe if this team could land a Donovan Mitchell for just draft picks and we're looking at a team that has a backcourt of Brunson and Mitchell with R.J. Barrett there and some other pieces, I mean, we might be looking at a solid playoff team. So to be determined if they, you know, maybe, they, maybe they'd be in the A tier if they pulled that off by now, but we felt comfortable putting them in the B tier as it is. Yeah, and another B tier team would be the Bucks. They practically practically kept the exact same team, which you'd expect them to be. They built a team that fits perfectly around Giannis. They did add uh, Joe Ingles though, which I think is a pretty solid sign. He's going to do nothing but help that team. Uh, the Cavs are another team. Uh, they're pretty similar to a lot of these younger teams, but I think the Cavs are in a little bit of a more win now scenario. Obviously, they're not going to make a insane finals run or anything like that, but they can be a very uh, high win percentage team this season. Uh, They didn't do anything crazy, but they extended Darius Garland. They signed Ricky Rubio, which he is going to be a tremendous sign. He played great. Uh, Robin Lopez, kind of a low end uh, backup center, but they lost Moses Brown, which realistically Moses Brown has been kind of a hollow player at best in the NBA. He I mean, he looks like he could be fantastic, but nothing to groan about for the Cavs there. And then another B-tier team is the Pistons, setting up strong for the future. But once again, it's kind of like the Cavs. They could make a little bit more of a push with their uh, total wins. They got Alec Burks in a trade, Nerlens Noel in a trade. They also re-signed uh, Marvin Bagley, maybe for a little bit too much, but he's still a pretty solid piece. And they also got Kimbo, but I think they're that's kind of – is down and they're going to buy out his contract if they haven't already. I'm not sure. Yeah, they, they did. They did buy out Kimba. I wasn't sure if that was official or if it was kind of just talks, but then yeah. they also lost Jeremy Grant. Uh, but to be honest, I kind of like them losing Jeremy Grant. He fits well with the Blazers and the Pistons are just, they're looking great for their future. Nothing much more to that. Yeah. It's just also just, you know, they did lose Grant, but it's the fact that they flipped Grant into a first round pick, which then flipped into Jalen Duran. So Definitely. even though he's a rookie, they were able to gain a centerpiece out of that uh, alongside Cade Cunningham that they don't have if they don't move Jeremy Grant. So, yeah. yeah. So the, the next team here, we have the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors. Um, this is an interesting one to me because looking at what they've lost, you know, lose Damian Lee, lose Gary Payton, lose Otto Porter. But, you know, you add Dante DiVincenzo, Jamichael Green, uh, I really like the young guys up and coming that they have. Uh, I think Kaminga probably takes a jump next, this coming season, um, you know, get a healthy James Wiseman. Uh, this is a team to me that's, you know, still a top tier team in this league uh, after this offseason. And I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. They still have that Steph Curry guy who's pretty solid. So, uh, yeah, the next team we have here, uh, the Denver Nuggets. So, you know, lose Will Barton, Boogie Cousins, Austin Rivers, but pick up Bruce Brown, uh, KCP, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, you obviously they re-signed Jokic to the Supermax, um, which is which is great for him. Super happy for him. Um, and, you know, I think I think coming into next season, if you can get a fully healthy Jamal Murray, fully healthy Michael Porter Jr., I think that's a team that's definitely up there at the top of the league. So I really like them. And, and I'm, I'm a fan of what they did this offseason. Yeah, lost uh, lost Monty Morris as well, but but I mean we we mentioned that earlier, but you you totally hit the head on the nail. I mean with what they've acquired and with Jamal Murray back, I think they'll be fine. Absolutely. Um, and then the final team we have in the B tier, uh, the Kings. 
So they lose DiVincenzo, Harkless, Justin Holiday, um, and and I think they kind of had a sneaky offseason here. These are two additions that I really like with uh, Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. Um, I really like that for them. Obviously, they draft Keegan Murray, so we'll see how that plays out. But it looks like a solid pick as of now. Um, so yeah, that that kind of round, rounds out uh, B tier, and uh, I, I still I'm a fan of what they did this offseason. Yeah, and I, I think that the funniest thing is that when you watch the Kings post-trade deadline after the Sabonis move, uh, things just looked clunky. But when you go look at the numbers on Fox and Sabonis uh, pick and rolls, which they ran about 14 a game, they were 1.22 points per possession, which is just insane. And the fact that they were able to do that without a lot of shooting surrounding them, and now they've acquired shooting this offseason – I'm very intrigued, like you said, to look at the Sacramento team next year and see yep. how the offense continues to improve. Um, but starting out the A tier here, um, first we've got the Utah Jazz. And this one might be kind of controversial with some people. And, you know, I get it. They've lost a player in Rudy Gobert uh, that was very good for them for a long time. But let's just be real. This team's intentions are not to keep Donovan Mitchell. Um, they were in talks. They're in talks right now with the Knicks, the Hornets, and the Wizards. You know, who knows what happens, but they're clearly in a direction where they're very open to trading Mitchell and they want to rebuild. Um, they own their draft pick this year. Man, it's just the fact that they were able to gain five firsts out of that. I mean, the draft capital there was just crazy. And for a team that's not going to have aspirations of winning, that's a, it's a great haul. And they've also got some pieces out of the deal to be able to match Gobert's salary. You know, like a guy like Pat Beverly, a guy like uh, Malik Beasley. Those aren't buyout guys. Those are guys that you could maybe get a young player with some promise, not like crazy potential, but like a young player that's just not – you wouldn't write them off yet. Or maybe you get a first-round pick for one of them, or maybe you get a second or two. And it's just the fact that you'll be able to get draft capital out of guys that you weren't even planning on using. So we all agreed – Jazz A, because of the draft compensation, I get it. We don't know how those picks are going to turn out. But getting that much draft capital, and I think another big thing of why we felt comfortable putting them here is Danny Ainge's track record gives you every reason to believe that even if these aren't like top eight picks, he's going to make the right selection and, the, and those guys are going to pan out. I mean, just look at the Boston Celtics right now. Those are all, besides Derek White, Danny Ainge draft picks. And obviously Brogdon, but I mean he was just traded there. So we're we're talking about a finals team that just made the NBA finals was basically all drafted by Danny Ainge. So now that Danny Ainge is acquiring more draft capital, that's a win for them. Um, and uh, the second of of four A tier teams here are the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, this team had a big three, big four, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't call it a big four, but just a group of four really good players in Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris, but they had hardly anything around those guys. And now this offseason, they were able to acquire DeAnthony Melton that I touched on earlier. They were able to get Daniel House, who some people had already kind of written off. But two notable things here is that Daniel House was a great defender for the Utah Jazz last year. Um, and he also, when he played with James Harden on the Rockets, uh, was – the best of the best whenever it came to shooting the three-pointer off of James Harden passes. Um, I don't remember the number on that, but I remember that he was like 
above the 95th percentile in terms of three-point percentage when shooting off of James Harden passes. So the fact that you get that back, a guy that's familiar with James Harden, and then you know they got P.J. Tucker, gives his team grit that they need, gives his team another good defender for, for guys that are threes and fours, helps a little bit with rebounding that we touched on. Just another great shooter off of Harden passes whenever he played in Houston. Uh, you know, they acquired Trevlin Queen, too, who was the G League MVP last year kind of like a, a bucket getter. That's like a flyer. Maybe that one works out. But just the fact they got those three alone, um, very, very big W for the 76ers in this offseason. Yeah, and another A-tier team uh, is the Hawks. Luke already kind of touched on the DeJounte Murray edition, but just overall DeJounte Murray is giving that team so much more that they were definitely lacking. Being able to allow Trey Young kind of take a break on defense, um, take a break on offense as well. Trey Young is – I believe about 95th percentile when it comes to uh, catch and shoot threes, which I mean, DeJounte Murray with the ball in his hands, giving it to Trey Young, sounds fantastic. Uh, they were also able to add um, players like Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, Frank Kaminsky, Mo Harkless, which are, I mean, not incredible names, but definitely t- names that give them a lot of bench depth. They lost Kevin Herter, uh, Gallinari. DeLon Wright and uh, Gorgie Dang. But when it's all said and done, DeJounte Murray is the name that stands out. And that's just a fantastic addition through and through. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, Emmett. And uh, moving on to the last team in the A tier uh, is a team that I'm really excited about, the Portland Trailblazers. Um, obviously, you add Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton in the offseason. I think both of those guys are going to fit extremely well on the Blazers. Uh, watching Gary Payton's, uh, you know, postseason run this past year, I, I'm really high on him, and I think that he can really have an impact there. And I'm also looking for Simons to take the next step next year, and I really think he will. So I'm excited for that pairing with Dame. And like I said, they're they're two big additions. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching them, you know, play with this team. And I think that they had a great offseason. Yeah, and I, I I just want to jump in on the Blazers, man, because I know that that might be a controversial one as well. But it's the fact that we've never seen Damian Lillard with what's going to be probably a, a above average defense. And so with some of these additions, Jeremy Grant being there for now, Josh Hart is on this team. Um, they picked up Gary Payton the second in the offseason. Just that's a defensive presence that Damian Lillard honestly has never had. And as good as Rocco is, uh, as good of a defender as, as Robert Covington is, he just wasn't that in Portland. It was just a weird scenario. I think he was just being asked to do too much probably because of the lack of defensive help in Portland while he was there. But now they have that. And like Luke said about Simons, you know, I think it's a little different than the Damon CJ dynamic. And I'm not calling Simons like a better player than CJ, but the fact that you have two legit, like great playmaking guards that are high volume three point shooters that's just tough to guard no matter who you are. And Dame and CJ were a great backcourt, but CJ is not like the high-volume prolific three-point shooter that Simons is or as good of like a PNR player as Simons is. So definitely excited to see that team. So we have two teams left, and they are both in the S tier. Uh, I think we've kind of already talked about both these teams earlier, but one of the teams in the S tier is the Timberwolves. They went from an elite young team to possibly one of the best teams in all of the NBA with the addition of Rudy Gobert. I mean, there's no limit to what they can do. They can go now next year and win it all. Or, I mean, that's going to be a five-year stretch building up. Uh, they added 
They extended Cat, obviously, the Gobert trade. They also added Kyle Anderson. I know Kyle Anderson was a little bit of an iffy player for the Grizzlies, but just overall, the addition of Kyle Anderson, just overall, he's an all-around guy. He can go in, play defense, can stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, they added Brian, Brian Forbes, Eric Pascal, and uh, Austin Rivers. Just depth, depth, depth with the addition of the guy in the middle, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, and you know, the, the second team in the S tier, and it's a team that we hit on at the start of the episode as well, obviously the Boston Celtics. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, there's, you know, that that's a guy who changes the dynamic of that team. And you're talking about a team that was, you know, coming off an NBA Finals appearance. And I, I absolutely love that for them. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Jason Tatum. Um, and, you know, also adding Gallinari, I mean, that's a solid pickup as well. So, you know, th- this is a team that, should be expecting to be right back where they were last year. Um, so I, I was really, really high on on their offseason. Yeah. Along with I know all were too. Yeah. And I know that the immediate thought with some people whenever it comes to Gallinari is like, oh, he's he's just so bad defensively. But it's like it's a regular season thing, man. Like that's 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 big insurance, four or five insurance if you need it. And yeah, who cares right. if Gallinari plays in the playoffs or not? To be able to have another body like that that is high IQ and can shoot the basketball, and like that—that's what teams need to be able to stay high in the standings. So, two great pickups. You know, we've we've already touched on those two a lot, but they were our S tier teams. Yeah. So, just wanted to rank every team's offseason for you guys. Uh, like we said, now that we've pretty much seen everything, but now that everything is pretty much wrapped up in that sense, obviously pending KD trade, like we mentioned before. We kind of know how every team looks. And so with that, we already kind of have in mind who we think are the contenders going into the season. We've all picked uh, our contenders. Um, I'll start out with mine first in the East. Um, In the East, I've got three. And I think it's the Celtics who just made a finals run and improved big uh, greatly, like we mentioned with Brogdon. The Bucks who are going to come back at full force. You know, whether they got Ingles or not, I think they're here in this position anyway. And the 76ers, just because of how much they made it a they made it a point to improve around the margins. Um, so those are my three in the East. Uh, I have the exact same three in the East, actually. Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. But I also want to give a little bit of a nod to the Hawks. I know two years ago they gave a little bit of a scare to the East with the Trey Young Trey Young run a little bit of a hard word to say both words back together not a lot but just with the addition of DeJounte Murray I like that team could be a little bit scary I don't know if they could beat those top three but those run out the top three for these for me yeah I'm, I'm in agreement with y'all I have the Celtics and the Bucks those are my only two though I don't actually have the Sixers in there um if I'm being completely honest I think the Bucks and the Celtics are the only the two real threats that I personally see in the east but I do respect the fact of y'all throwing the Sixers in there because, you know, you never know. But just for me personally, I, I like the Bucks and the Celtics out of the East, uh, preferably the Celtics. Yeah, I, you know, I do think that those two are like a step above the 76ers, but I also am very confident in the Sixers. So that's why I wanted to recognize them as a true contender, because I do think that they have what I would call like a puncher's chance. And so I don't think that they're like on – the outside, in my opinion, like I really think that they're there, but um, but I agree that 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 the Bucks and the Celtics are ahead. Um, out west, I also have three contenders, and it is the Denver Nuggets, the Golden State Warriors, and the LA Clippers. 
Uh, I have the Warriors, Nuggets, Clippers, and Timberwolves. I've got the Warriors, and then I have the Clippers, and then I have the Nuggets and the T-Wolves as kind of a sleeper from the West. I really do think it'll be between the Warriors and the Clippers, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the see a healthy Nuggets team or, uh, you know, a T-Wolves team uh, in that position. So that's that's my four from the West. Yeah, you know, I definitely see why you guys put the Timberwolves, and I'm very high on their offseason, just like, you know, we've all reiterated uh, before we've gotten into this. But I do think I'm looking bigger picture for the Timberwolves. Yeah. I think they have great success in the regular season this year, but I still think that there's some things that need to be fixed around the margins. And I think that those could be exposed come playoff time. And I do think that in the next offseason or two, though, as they do open up cap space and get more flexibility, that's whenever I think it really clicks for this team. Also, I, I do think that to call them a real contender, I think Anthony Edwards is going to be great. But I would need like an Anthony Edwards like superstar jump from year two to year three, which maybe happens. But for them to be kind of rough around the edges like they are, it would take Anthony Edwards like making this huge monster leap, which I think he ascends, just not sure how much. So that's why I left them off there. But I totally respect you guys having them in your contenders for the West. Uh, now we're just going to kind of rank the contenders that we've named. Um Obviously, guys, this will probably change as the season goes on, but it's just going into the year. Um, so, you know, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, but still, it's a fun conversation. So, mine ranked from six to one because I had six. I've got the 76ers at sixth, the Nuggets at fifth, defending champs Warriors at fourth, the Bucks at third, the Celtics at second, and the Clippers at first. So, the Clippers are my title favorite going into this year. Might be a little bit of a homer pick maybe, but I also am going to definitely dive into the Clippers here in a second on why they are my title favorite and maybe try to sell you guys and our audience on why they should be theirs as well. All right, so I had seven. Mine were the Sixers, Timberwolves, Bucks, Nuggets, and then to round out the top three, I had the Clippers, Warriors, and the Celtics at one, even though I wanted to go with the Lakers at one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so I had six that I listed off just a minute ago with the T-Wolves being that sixth team. But when I ranked them, I did not put them in there because I don't think it's a legit shot. It's kind of like would be a Cinderella type story. Um, so starting at five and going to one, I have the Nuggets at five. I have the Bucks at four. I have the Celtics at three. I have the Clippers at two. And then I have the Warriors to repeat would be my pick. Yeah. So, I mean, totally respectable. Like, you know, you guys both had a team that was in the finals this past year, so can't really, like, refute that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm going to give you guys the chance first uh, to maybe kind of make a claim of why you think the team that you've picked should be the title favorite going into next year. I mean, we all three had similar, maybe the exact same top three, just different order. But with the Celtics, I mean, Celtics for me – it's practically the exact same team with the addition of two really talented players. And that's just really why I went with them one. I mean, it was kind of hard for me to drop them outside of two or the top two because they only got much, much better in my opinion. And that's just why I set them up at one. There's not really much more to it, honestly. I like that take for sure. Um, you know, I kind of – it was a toss-up between the Clippers and the Warriors for me. 
um, because I really think this Clippers team next year is going to be very dangerous. But ultimately, the reason I chose the Warriors at one, you know, obviously their their top players are, you know, all time superstars. But the the thing that I really want to focus on on the Warriors that I, I I mentioned it earlier, I really like the young guys that you know that they have that are going to step into bigger roles this upcoming season. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Kaminga earlier, I think he'll really improve a lot and maybe take a, take another step. And I, I'm really intrigued to see Wiseman with this group. And, uh, you know, obviously I think losing Gary Payton, the second hurts and Otto Porter, but, you know, picking up DiVincenzo and Jamichael Green, I, this is a team that I honestly feel like can be better than they were last year. And I, you know, it, it is banking on some of the younger guys to really step up and, and be legit, but, I just I can't not pick them. I, I just they're I think they'll repeat and they're going to be my favorite going into the into the year. And I could be completely wrong, but that's just my my take on it. Yeah. So I mean, Emmett, I totally see your logic. You know, I, I clearly from my rankings, you can tell that I have the Celtics favorite out of the East. And at that point, if I've got a team in the finals, I'm not going to argue with anybody that has that team winning the finals. Um, Luke, totally with you. I do think there is potential for the Warriors to be a better team this year than they were last year. I mean, you're talking about Clay Thompson coming off a healthy offseason. Um, you know, they did lose Gary Payton and Otto Porter, but maybe DiVincenzo is a perfect Warrior, just like Otto Porter was. And Jermichael Green could fit in nicely and be more depth down at the four and five, as well as if you get a jump or anything out of Moses Moody. Jonathan Kamingo or James Wiseman. So definitely potential for them to be better. Completely agree with you there. But I'm going to try to sell you guys and our audience on why the Clippers should be the title favorite come season time. So there's all kinds of factors as to what makes a championship team. And one, in my opinion, besides a few circumstances in NBA history, is you need multiple players who are some of the best players in the league. Okay. You're talking a duo here that one, uh, gives you a top five caliber player and the other one is a top 12, 13 player in the league. So when you've got two guys who are both top 15, one of which is a top five caliber player, you've already got the nucleus in a sense of what it takes. It takes a lot more, but you have to have that established first, which they definitely have. Um, in the two, in the 2020, 2021 season lineups with both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor in over 2000 possessions together, had a plus 17.8 point differential. Uh, they were in the 99th percentile in point differential, points per 100 possessions, and effective field goal percentage. Um, they were also in the 94th percentile in points per 100 possessions on the defensive end. Um, so just kind of just shows you the impact that those two already have whenever they are on the floor together and how great that they have been already. Um you know, we didn't get to see them last year, but just need to remind people, in my opinion, of how good they truly are whenever they are on the floor together. Um, you know, something else is just the depth and the lineup flexibility of this team. First off, just want to run through the depth chart, you know, just to remind people. I mean, you've got John Wall and Reggie Jackson at the one, Paul George, Norman Powell, and Luke Kennard all at the two, Kawhi Leonard, Terrence Mann, and Amir Coffey as some of your wings. And then just some, some guys that have probably played three or the four. You've got Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris. And then at the center position, Ivica Zubak is really the only, like, super established guy. But 
maybe we get something. We signed Moses Brown on a training camp deal, and we drafted Musa Diabite, uh, Diabite out of Michigan. If we can get anything out of either one of those, then there literally is zero hole on the entire Clippers roster. Um, and maybe they don't even have to cover that because of the amount of small ball that this team is going to play. I do think that it's safe to assume that this team may not even need a backup five because of how much small ball they'll probably have and how they'll close games with small ball against probably 80-plus percent of the league. Um, you know, they did acquire um, Rocco, Robert Covington, whenever I say Rocco, that's who I'm referring to. But uh, before I even get into Rocco, man, I mean, when you look at when Kawhi PG and Batum were all on the floor together in the playoffs, they had a plus 9.9 point differential in 469 possessions. I mean, to have a plus 10 point differential with three guys in the playoffs alone, that just that's incredible stuff there. So just wanted to point that out. And then the addition of Rocco, man, this year, whenever he played for the Clippers, uh, he was in the 99th percentile in point differential as a player with the Clippers. And in 478 possessions, the Clippers were a plus 15.4 just with Rocco on the floor. Um, and Rocco also um, offensively and defensively was offensively in the 93rd percentile in points per possessions and 96th percentile in defense, defensive points per possession. So when Rocco was on the floor, the Clippers had a very elite offense and defense, and that's with, like, no Kawhi or Paul George. So just Rocco's ability in that sense. Um, and then, man, you know, the addition of John Wall, um, something that people have preached that the Clippers have needed is a true point guard, just a true playmaker, and they get that now. And I think that the common misconception, because, you know, Emmett, you touched on how you like the John Wall pickup, but I think the common misconception is, oh, John Wall hasn't played in so long. I think people forget that not this year, but the year prior, John Wall played in like half the games and was shut down by the team just to gear towards rebuilding and getting a good draft pick. So when John Wall did play for the Rockets in that season, in in, in 2020 and 2021, um, when Wall was on the floor, the Rockets were in the 94th percentile in terms of like increased corner three rate. And this Clippers team is very, very good at shooting the basketball from the perimeter but they have plenty of guys who are great in the corners as well. This past year, the Clippers had four guys that were over the 90th percentile um, in corner three-point percentage, which was Robert Covington, Paul George, Nick Batum, and Norman Powell. And Luke Kennard was also in the 82nd percentile. And Kawhi last season was in the 87th percentile from the corner. Um, and then, man, when Wall played for the Rockets in, in almost 1,300 possessions – the Rockets still had a plus five point differential with him on the floor and they were well above average with him on, on defense. So, I mean, just like to remind people that man, not even two years ago before John, John Wall did not get hurt again. He was simply shut down by the Rockets for them to uh, tank essentially. Like he was playing good basketball. And, you know, the last thing I want to point out, man, is Ty Lu, and Ty Lu led the Clippers to a top 10 defense this year. Um, without Kawhi Leonard and with 31 games of Paul George. Um, as great as those two are defensively, I think it just kind of shows the wizardry of this dude. Um, and and two seasons ago, they were an easy top 10 offense, um, and they were one of the more prolific offenses that we've seen in a while. They were the, like one of the best three-point shooting teams of all time. Um, Ty Lue, if you look on Synergy, 
uh, in that 2020, 2021 season, the Clippers, except for like two categories, which synergy shows you like 12 or 13 were 90th percentile or higher on, on offensive looks and transition was one of the things that they weren't super high on, but don't expect a lot of transition. Maybe John Wall gives them some more in that area, but don't expect a lot of transition out of this group, but that's okay. And so with all those factors incorporated, man, I just really think it's the best Clippers team ever. I think it's the best team Kawhi and Paul George have ever been surrounded by. And I am a fan, but I think just from a basketball perspective, I, you know, I've heard multiple analysts say it. So I feel comfortable saying it as a fan, like they just, they are the favorite in my opinion, going to next season, just when you really look at it. All yeah, right. I definitely. Well, continue, Luke. You convinced me. You really did. Uh, <laughs> after hearing that, I mean, God, how could how could you not be convinced by that? I I, I completely agree with you. And and I also I love Ty Lu. And going back to Ty Lu's days in Cleveland, you know, people were critical of him. Uh, you know, not people that knew what they were talking about, but people. Um, and it, Ty Lu's a guy, you know, on that Cavs team, like he held LeBron in check. Like he coached hard during his time in Cleveland. And, and I, I love Ty Lue and I respect him for that, but you really did convince me. I mean, I mean, that was, that was a very compelling uh, argument for the Clippers. Yeah. yeah I was going to say I've been high on the Clippers. I, I'm still high on the Clippers ever since the Paul George trade. I've been right there with the Clippers, but for me, I'm just going to kind of stick with the more proven pick with the Celtics. Don't get me wrong. The Clippers are going to be right there battling it out with every other team as long as they can stay healthy. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say to the audience, I could probably give you a breakdown like that on every team, but considering that the Clippers are the favorite and everything, as I just kept looking into it, just made more and more sense. I couldn't help. I couldn't refrain myself. I had to just go way in depth on the pod and just explain why I think the Clippers are the favorite besides me being a fan. Um, so, yeah, man. Um, and just kind of wrapping this pod up, uh, we want to talk about the remaining free agents maybe who could give somebody some minutes and who might be done in the league at this point uh but also rank our top 10 shooting guards the remaining free agents uh notable names you know we're going to dive into if we think uh, some of these guys can't really play anymore some of the guys that maybe do have a chance and we're all we've all kind of picked maybe a remaining free agent or two or something that we think could contribute to somebody and maybe where they could land um just some notable names that are still out there. Uh, first off, I want to address Colin Sexton just very quickly. I know he's still technically available. Something will get worked out there, but they've just not figured it out yet. You know, it was reported that Cleveland offered him a three-year, like $40-something million deal. He didn't want to take it. I think what probably ends up happening is he takes the qualifying offer, and then he is a unrestricted free agent next offseason. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But Colin Sexton won't be a guy that, like, somebody goes and gets. Um, it's just a matter of when he works something out with Cleveland or if he takes the qualifying offer. Um, but Carmelo Anthony, Eric Bledsoe, DeMarcus Cousins, Dennis Schroeder, Dwight Howard, Isaiah Thomas, Hassan Whiteside, Jeremy Lamb, Rajon Rondo, Kimball Walker, Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, Blake Griffin, Markeith Morris, Montrez Harrell, and Paul Millsap. So Kind of wild, you know, to think that some of those guys aren't on a team, just considering that like a few years ago, a lot of them would have easily been signed to somebody. But it's just crazy how fast things can go sometimes and how how fast some some players can age, honestly. Um, you know, I've listed some guys that I really and truly think are kind of done. 
uh, and are nothing more than like a maybe locker room leader if a team has a spot. And those guys that I think can maybe be like some, some locker room presence are Lou Williams, Blake Griffin, and Paul Millsap. Uh, honestly, I think Montrezl Harrell might be done in this league. I'm sure he gets a flyer somewhere at some point, whether it's this year or next year. But I just think teams have kind of figured out that he doesn't really give you winning basketball and he's too old to be a part of your young core anymore. Um, and I don't really think Markeith Morris has a spot anymore. And some of it's not really his fault. You know, he got the neck injury last year, but those are the guys that I think are pretty much done in terms of contributing to a team on the floor. Yeah, with the whole Montrez Harrell thing, I think I don't want to say Dwight Howard and Son Whiteside aren't going to make rosters. All three of them are talented, but just the evolution of the center has kind of almost stranded them in a really awkward situation. But some guys I think are kind of past their time. Paul Millsap, it's like he was fantastic with the Hawks. One of my favorite players to ever watch, to be honest. But him and Isaiah Thomas, I feel like there's always hype around Isaiah Thomas every offseason, all the way up in the playoffs. But like realistically, I don't see him giving much to any team, quite honestly. So those are my two guys. Yeah, you know, I uh, a couple guys that I, I don't really know how much they have left in the tank. Uh, kind of provided some some good minutes for a few teams in the back half of their career. Uh, I don't really know if, if uh, Rondo has a place anywhere right now. Um, and the same for Dwight Howard. I don't want to say he's not going to make it make a roster, but uh, those are two guys that I'm not really that confident could go in and, and provide anything great for a team. And I kind of want to touch on the Montrezl Harrell stuff too. You know, I, I don't think necessarily all of his, you know, depleted chances of getting signed have come from, you know, on the court things. I know he's got a couple off the court issues. I'm not really going to touch on, but uh, that, that are kind of still in limbo right now. But those are, those are a few guys that, that I don't really see having a, having a place or a fit um, at least not for this upcoming season and probably not moving forward at all. Um, but yeah, those, those are my three guys. And, and I like what you said about Paul Millsap Emmett, uh, you know, a guy that in the prime of his career was fantastic and fun to watch, but you know, I kind of think uh, he's he's aged out of the league at this point a little bit. So those are my my guys that I wanted to hit on. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, some of those guys that we talked about, it's just, again, it's just we've all talked about, it, like, they just can't really give anything anymore. Like, you know, yeah. they, they've had great years. Like, shout out to them. But it's just probably their time. Um, now we've all kind of picked, like, a guy or two that – we are kind of surprised that they're not on a team and that we think maybe a team should take a flyer on. I'll start out here, man. Um, first, I just want to give a shout out to Boogie Cousins because he had a great year as a backup center for the Denver Nuggets, and I think it was a perfect fit. And I quite honestly don't understand why they didn't just bring him back and why they felt the need to go out and get DeAndre Jordan the very moment that free agency started. Trust me, Denver Nuggets, DeAndre Jordan would be there right now if you wanted him, you didn't have to go get him immediately. <laughs> um, you know, there's the, re there's the recurring joke that, um, that whenever the Nets got KD, uh, they had to bring DeAndre Jordan and that the Nuggets have taken a flyer on DeAndre Jordan for a, for a KD move. But, um, but it's all, all jokes, man. But I, I really truly don't understand why they just wanted DeAndre Jordan so bad considering like their offense did not have to change when Boogie came on the floor and gave Jokic like those 12 relief minutes. Um, and I think they're going to find out quickly, hey, DeAndre Jordan doesn't work. 
um, especially with a lot of the things that they're going to try to do. So just want to touch on that because I really don't think Boogie fits well with a lot of teams, but it was such a perfect fit in Denver, and I just still can't wrap my head around why they didn't bring him back. But second, you know, the guy I want to touch on is Avery Bradley, and he's not the defender that he once was, but he's still solid and probably above average. And and he shot 39% from three on three attempts a game last year for the Lakers. And so, like, anytime you can get a guy that shoots 39% on a few on a few threes a night, along with being an above-average defender, I mean, some teams that I've thrown out here, man, like Toronto, Minnesota, Denver, some teams that, like, could use the, some of the guard depth, like, why not take a flyer on a guy like Avery Bradley? Yeah, for sure. Um, and another guy I'm high on, Carmelo Anthony. Like, I know he's not what he once was, but it's the same thing with uh, Avery Bradley. Just I feel like they both kind of get overlooked a little bit because their production isn't what it once was. But both of them can give solid minutes. I mean, exactly what you expect as a team when signing them. I don't see why either of those guys aren't getting signed. No, no hate. I think Carmelo might be one of the worst defenders in the league at this point. Well, yeah, but but that's but, that was implied. That was implied. But, but regular season scoring depth again could be solid. So I don't. I'm not critiquing your pick. I'm just saying in case somebody else was had the same you know thought as me. Yes, but. Everybody could use some regular season depth if you've got a spot or two. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting when you're signing Carmelo. You're not getting <laughs> any defense at all. But I just meant, like, theoretically, like, both of them are kind of just overlooked. They're not what they once were, but both of them give you quality minutes for who they are. And I don't see why either of them shouldn't make a roster. So where, like, who would be a team that you'd be like, hey, why have you not taken a flyer on Carmelo? The Lakers, 100%. They need to get him back instantly. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. I, I'm in agreement with you about that, Emic. Uh, the the two guys that I really had highlighted were Mello and Boogie Cousins. And, you know, Boogie Cousins, the ideal fit for him to me, like you said, Kyle, is the Nuggets. Um, but, you know, you, you can't look at that guy and tell me there's not somewhere in the league that he could go and give good minutes as a backup center right now. Ideally, it would be the Nuggets, but obviously they had other other ideas with DeAndre Jordan. And I, I also agree that, that Carmelo is an atrocious defender. But at the same time, I, mean, I, I completely agree with you that I would love to see him back on the Lakers and be able to come off the bench and maybe offensively provide a spark every now and then and, and then, you know, score a few points a game here and there. And, and, and that's something I'd really like to see. And those are really the two guys that I – really had highlighted for for guys that I think should be on a roster right now. Um, but, yeah, those are those are kind of my two guys for that. Yeah, I also had not necessarily a specific player, but I just had the Clippers in general. Like, I know their team is almost perfect, but if they had a spot available or just any urge to go get a backup center, there's a handful of backup centers that could give you a variety of, of different things depending on who you wanted. Yeah, and, you know, I'll step in on that one, but kind of like I hinted at earlier, I don't think it's that big of a concern because, no, of how much, because of how much small ball this team is going to play. Like, yeah. I really do think we are in store for a lot of small ball out of this Clippers team. Um, yeah, definitely. But, you know, last thing to just wrap this podcast up, man, we've got our top 10 shooting guards to continue our positional rankings for you guys. Uh, 
Same deal as last week. We're going to give our honorable mentions first. I just want to acknowledge first, and I think that these two would agree with me, this list was probably harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, when I went into it, I thought shooting guards were going to be kind of straightforward, and then I got into it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is very hard, like almost as stressful as the point guards list was. <laughs> um, and it's not – there's not as much talent in the shooting guard position as there's a point guard, but there's not a big gap in between a lot of them. So you really have to sit there and argue with yourself who's better than who. But I'll give my honorable mentions first. Uh, very tough. You know, my eight through ten, I was debating just as much with these two honorable mentions. But my two are Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons. My one honorable mention is Clay Thompson. Okay. Uh, and my two were Clay Thompson and Gary Trent. So, you know, it's kind of funny that both of y'all had those guys. And uh, this, this is very tough. I agree with you. Eight, eight through ten was very hard. Um, I, they could have kind of all interchanged for me. But it, it was a tough – it was a fun list to make, but it was definitely tough. Yeah. Emmett, you're up. All right. I don't know if I'll be able to beat the Trey Young at nine from last episode, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, ten, I have Desmond Bain. Same. Nine. Tyrese Maxey, eight, Zach Levine, seven, DeJounte Murray, six, Bradley Beal, five, Donovan Mitchell, four, I have Devin Booker, three, Jalen Brown, two, Paul George, and one, Anthony Edwards. Oh, Got to go with Ant. Listen, I'm, okay, I'm, the, the, super, <laughs> the, the superstar jump happened maybe, last week. Maybe Trey He's, Nine was beat this week. <laughs> This the superstar jump happened last week. He is the best shooting guard. Though I think the only person who can compete with him is Paul George. I'll be completely honest. We'll see. So so I I had I'll go ahead and man I had Bain at ten as well, and we were kind of trending the same way. And then I noticed it was mixed up, and I was like, he's not going to do it, is he? He's not. Gonna do it. <laughs> he did. But I will mention it is based off if we think that they're going to make a jump as well. And Emmett's sticking by it. He thinks that he thinks that uh, Anthony Edwards is going to have a superstar leap, which year two to year three, normally you do see a big progression, but we'll see. I, I do need to say, though, I am not writing Anthony Edwards' bias. I hated Anthony Edwards in college, <laughs> despised him, but here we are. Something happened. I don't know what it is. Luke, you're 10. Let's hear it. All right, so at 10, I have Anthony Simons. Um, nine, I have Tyrese Maxey. Uh, eight, I have DeJounte Murray. Um, seven, Jalen Brown. Six, Zach Levine. And at five, I have Anthony Edwards, who I also have taking a jump, taking a jump to the fifth spot, not the first spot. Uh, <laughs> and moving forward from five with, with Ant is uh, number four, I have Donovan Mitchell. Uh, three, I have Bradley Beal. Two, I have Paul George. And at number one, I have Devin Booker. Okay. So um, you expect like a Brad Beal like bounce back, right? I do. Yeah, I really do. I really do. And I and I think you know at at the top of his game, he's uh, a top three guy at the two. Okay, and Jalen Brown was at seven, right? Yeah, he was, and that that was really tough for me because yeah. I, the honestly like six through ten was tough, um, and all those guys could be interchangeable, but I, I do have him at seven. What makes you lower on Brown than probably the consensus? I, I don't really have a, a dead set answer on that other than just from watching games. Um, 
it's just, it, I, I think the way that I am doing lists, you know, it, it's like, okay, if I've got a team right now, you know, like what order am I taking these guys? And, I, you know, Zach Levine over Jalen Brown, it, you know, that was kind of a toss up for me, but ultimately I just was going off my gut instinct with it. If I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I gotcha. And uh, last thing I want to ask is, um, what did it come down to when debating Booker and PG? I think, I think Booker comes out and has Booker is in is a top three MVP guy for me this year. Okay. Uh, so I th- I think that kind of that kind of can't see, but Emmett just shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did shake my head to that one, Emmett. Um, so I, I think Booker's a guy who I think will have an outstanding year in the regular season. Not high on Phoenix postseason wise, but um, that was that was really tough for me because after hearing you talk about it, Kyle, I, you know, I'm kind of on board that the Clippers are winning the championship. Who <laughs> <laughs> for that team? But um, it, it was really tough for me. But ultimately, I, I think Booker probably has like a better statistical year and. And, and I think I think he he really comes out and proves himself, you know, again. And that that's kind of why I had him over Paul George for that spot. But I don't think for me personally, like those are the two. I, I don't think there's like I I can't put anybody else in that top two other than those two guys for me personally. Yeah. Um so my list, man, 10, I got Desmond Bain, nine, I got Zach Levine. And I want to go ahead and touch on that one, man. I just I was never a Zach Levine guy as it was. And this year when the Bulls actually did have somewhat of a successful season, it came with Zach Levine in a Robin role. I mean, DeMar DeRozan was stellar this year in the regular season and Levine was his two man. And I mean, to be like a sixth seed and you're the second guy, I just wasn't still wasn't very pleased with what I was seeing out of Levine and especially the poor performance in the playoffs. I know he ended up getting hurt. It was a very, very poor playoff showing from Levine, and it wasn't even like he was the first option. Um, he couldn't really get to any spot. Um, I know Drew Holiday's great. I know the Bucks have some great defenders, but, oh, he looked terrified in terms of trying to create a shot. And it was his first playoffs, man. I get it, but still. Um, I expect a Tyrese Maxey jump. I've got him at eight. Uh, at seven, I've got Bradley Beal. At six, I expect uh, Anthony Edwards to be up here and approaching the top five. Um, I expect a leap, but uh, not to MS trajectory here. But um, I do expect a leap, and I do think that there is potential for a superstar leap. So I'm not I'm not going to call anything crazy here. Uh, at five, I've got DeJounte Murray. I noticed I've got him a little higher than you guys. I think that him and Trey will both unlock a different perspective of each other's games. So I'm excited to see him in that role. At four, I've got Jalen Brown. Uh, two and three here, I think they are interchangeable, and I would go either way, just in my opinion. But at three, I do have Devin Booker. Um, at two, I have Donovan Mitchell, and at one, I have Paul George. I mean, I think at least me and you, the back half, or at least the eight through ten, I think we have pretty similar to Swapham, Zach Levine, and Tyrese Maxey. But maybe the whole Devin Booker at four for me, maybe Chris Paul might be rubbing off on him for me, but. For some reason, I just I'm not a not a huge fan of Devin Booker. I know he can score, but outside of that, just something about him just kind of rubs me the wrong way as a total player. I'm not gonna lie. I I personally think that he is really, really, really good. 
I don't think he's a player at this point in time where you can confidently say he can be the best player on a championship team. Yeah. I mean, I don't – I don't care if you agree or disagree. I just want to hear if you do. I don't think any of us had the Suns even in our top three for the West. So, like, I feel like that alone – Yeah, I I agree that he cannot lead a championship team. I don't think he ever will. Which that that makes it tough for me to have him at that one spot. I I'm just going off of it's 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 almost like a Kyrie situation where I'm going off of pure talent rather than you know what can you do leading this team. Um, but I I definitely agree with you on that. And and I don't I don't personally like to watch Devin Booker play. If I'm being honest with you, uh, he does, does a lot of talking. Does a lot of talking. Uh, to, to not be able to lead to lead that team. Um, but I, I agree with you on that for sure. So here's something kind of crazy to think about. Do you think that there's a single shooting guard that could that in the NBA right now that can lead a championship team? No. If so, there's only one. Paul George. Truthfully, no. Paul George didn't even come close with the Pacers. I mean, so, they, so PG PG has some good finals, has some good Eastern Conference finals running in Indiana, Oklahoma City. They didn't see a ton of postseason success. They didn't even win a series. The Clippers, I think, last year's postseason kind of gives you some perspective that he's close, but I don't think he's there. Yeah, um, I, I don't there, but I, I think out of these guys, like he would be the one if there was one. Um, but also, like I, I keep going back to those that those Pacers teams, you know, like. Take LeBron out of the equation, which I know you're playing like the what if game, like whatever. But like, I, I, if if anybody can do it off this list, it's Paul George to me. Yeah, that those Pacers team were some of the most fun teams to watch, just in general. Yeah, um, I don't like to play what ifs, but I think it's pretty safe to say that if Paul George doesn't get the first leg injury, who knows where he's at right now as a player? Yeah, because uh, when you take into perspective where he's at right now after battling a literal broken leg, two torn shoulders, and a huge elbow problem this past year. I mean, it's insane to think that he even is an all-NBA player at this point. Um, He's been through, you know. Yeah, but that wraps up this episode. Um, Obviously, we'll have our small forwards continuing the player rankings, uh, position rankings next week. But, um... Yeah, I mean, with that being said, this is the end of episode 23 of the Coast to Coast podcast. Hope you guys appreciated it, and uh, thank you for tuning in. See you guys next week. Artlist.io.